Uh, Esther chapter 3, then beginning uh, in verse 1. Hear the word of God. After these things, King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. A few verses later. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to hold to, to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. If you don't know the story, also the people of Esther. Verse 12, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman had commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the, and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. And one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Then after a vast turn of events, after the king has a sleepless uh, night, all of a sudden finds out a different perspective on Mordecai, and hears uh, a different truth uh, from Esther. Everything changed around. At this point, Haman uh, has been uh, impaled on the gallows that he meant to kill uh, Mordecai on. And a different summons goes out. You'll see the parallel to what we just read in chapter 8 now, verse 9. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews. To the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On the day throughout, on one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples. 
The Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And on chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It would be great to be able to enjoy a world without conflict, without arguments, without bitterness, uh, without regrets over pains of things that had happened. It would be great to have a world of peace and harmony where there wasn't any conflict. Every day as a dad, um, I have a great time getting to watch my two daughters and uh, they wake up in the morning and they, I get hugs from them and they talk about the things they're doing. But, but part of every day as a dad also means that what I hear is squabbling, fighting, and bitterness. The, the cry from the other room, Mom, Dad, she, she, she hit me. She sat on me. Daphne just sat on me and tried to take my toy. You know, like this is again. This is like three hours after nighttime. They're still like going on about this every day. It's just part of it. Um, and come July, we'll have another one added to that mix. And a year later, he'll just be he'll just be fighting along along with it, right? Um, that, that we can wish that, wish that the conflict wasn't there. It doesn't overscore the joy, but there's always conflict in the middle of these things. Uh, even Daphne and Alice love playing with one another. Um, one of the things I love hearing about uh, this time of year is kind of watching as friendships and relationships have been built and y'all are figuring out what you're doing next year and I get to hear about like who's, who's going to be rooming with who and living with who the following year and houses and apartments and staying on campus and uh, what all that will be like. And, and that's fun for me because I just get to see relationships that have, that have happened and they gelled. And, and I'm excited for y'all and I also know... Come September, one of the conversations that I'll be having you is, this person drives me crazy. Like, we had so much fun, but now, like, there are dishes in the sink. I've told her for three weeks in a row to get the dishes out of the sink, and still I come home and the dishes are in the sink. Um, you would be surprised how much I hear that conversation from y'all. But just go ahead and give you a word of warning ahead of time. Do the dishes, take out the trash, deal with one another. It doesn't mean you won't have a great time living together. It'll be fun, but part of, part of what happens in relationships... There's conflict that we bring into it. And we can wish uh, that that wasn't there, but it is. We can wish as we read the book of Esther that we could read the book of Esther without hearing about conflict. But you can't. Um, inherent in the whole book of Esther is conflict, right? right? The central controversy within Esther is there's attempted genocide. If that's not like the theme of the book, like we're, we're in trouble, there's conflict, it's attempted uh, genocide, and if that doesn't get you, then by the end of the book, uh, what you're hearing is that more than 75,000 people have been killed, blood was shed. Not only that, there's a, there's a celebration in, in the middle of this. Um, there, there's this conflict in the middle of it, and it's, there's, not a, there's not a peace treaty that happens. 
Not some like agreement that was meet uh, by delegates and ambassadors until they came to accord and a truce and, be, and were willing to put down their weapons. That's not how the conflict gets worked out. It's worked out. Uh, and in the end of the book, it celebrates the days, uh, as it says in chapter 9, the days that the Jews got relief from their enemies. Uh, that's the phrase uh, that it uses a couple times in chapter 9. They got relief from their enemies. Oh yeah, how did they get relief from their enemies? By annihilating their enemies. And when their enemies came after them, they, they destroyed all who hated them, 75,000 and more. You can't read Esther without hearing about the conflict. And I want you to realize that you can't read the Bible, you can't hear the gospel without hearing conflict. Uh, At the very center of the gospel is blood and death. Hebrews even says it this way, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, Without this conflict, there's not even hope, the hope that comes uh, out of it. Uh, Conflict begins in the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, in the beginning of history. Um, And it's not resolved until the end of the book of Revelation. At the end of the world as we know, when the new heavens and the new earth are are brought. There's conflict on the center of it. At the center of all of it is Jesus representing God's people, condemned, murdered, crucified, rejected, dead, but then raised to life. So Jesus forever changed the way we deal with conflict. Uh, and, and one day there, there will be conflict no more. But still, now, the battle rages on. Uh, the conflict continues. That's an inherent part of every relationship and every uh, side of life. So as we, and, and I think Esther helps you see this. So so I just want you to ask two simple questions as we kind of look at this theme in Esther. Two questions. Where do you see conflict? And how do you deal with it? Not just where do you see it in Esther, but where do you see conflict in your life? Are there particular people that you have to deal with? You're already thinking about your roommates next year, and you're like, oh, I can see it coming. I can see. I know who's going to leave the dishes out. Um, Maybe that's family things. Maybe that's people that you haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe it's not just particular individuals. Maybe it's groups that you feel like you don't fit with these folks or you don't fit with those folks. Maybe it's the Republicans or the Democrats or the liberals or the conservatives. Uh, Maybe it's the older people uh, and and their generation and what they're doing and how we want to... Where do you see conflict happening? And as you see it, how do you deal with it? And not just how do you think it should be dealt with ideally. I'm asking how do you deal with it? (laughs) Do you just ignore it? Do you go on? Do you push it down? Do you talk about it? Do you blog about it? Do you complain about it to others? Do you approach them and say we've got to work through this and hold on to all these? How how do you deal with it? Where's the conflict? How do you deal with it? Because it would be great to live in a world without conflict. But pretending that right now is that is lying to ourselves. It's ignoring with it. And it's not helping. It's not addressing the problem. And one of the things that the book of Esther does 
is it helps you see conflict. We read the book and we want to just go, yeah, yeah, I mean, the Jews are okay, let's cut off the end of the book and it's okay, they celebrated. Um, not that there was about to be genocide and instead there was this reverse and a whole lot of other people instead were the ones that died. Yay! But that's the way Esther brings it to you. And if you're reading the broad themes of the Bible, there's a, there's a truth there in the whole of the gospel. Esther helps us see how this conflict, maybe even our conflicting interest. So two sides of it that we're going to look at. Uh, one, conflict against God's people, and then the reversal of conflict for God's people. Uh, but first, conflict against God's people. The conflict is set in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 6. Haman's been promoted. Um, Haman, who is a, a Malachite enemy of God's people, has been uh, promoted. He has a seat of honor uh, in all of, all of Persia next to the king himself. But Mordecai doesn't want to give him a high five. Mordecai refuses. He leaves him hanging. He disses him. He won't acknowledge him. He won't bend a knee. He won't congratulate him on his high position. And Haman can't stand it. Haman finds out that Mordecai, uh, all of Mordecai's people is the Jewish people. And he says, you know what? If you want to acknowledge me, I'll take them all out. And the conflict is set. And it seems as the story goes on that destruction's inevitable. There's not like something that the Jewish people can turn to that are going to overrule the king's decree. The king's decree is irrevocable. Um, Haman has paid a, an unheard of sum of money to be able to purchase uh, um, the destruction of the Jewish people. And the king and, and Haman, as you see, that we read at the verse 15, sat down to drink once this decree goes out. They're fine with it. There's no guilty conscience to appeal to that maybe it'll work out differently. It seems inevitable uh, that God's people are going to be destroyed. And I want you to see that the conflict is not just against Mordecai and not just against the Jews, uh, uh, Jews because of Mordecai. The conflict is against God and God's people. Because God has made a promise to his people and how he will work through his people. God has promised a Messiah. He has promised uh, the Christ, the one who will save the world from their sins, to come uh, through his people as a descendant from the line of David. That he will be faithful to his promises to them and work out salvation through them. But what Haman is doing is trying to destroy all God's people. And so it's, it's threatening God's purposes. It's, it's against God himself, God's people, and what God uh, would be doing. Listen, this is the biblical dichotomy. This is how the Bible looks at things. That ultimately, not the way we're able to see it, but ultimately, you're either for God or against God. That, that that's the absolute dichotomy at the bottom, uh, bottom, bottom of everything. Either you're for God or you're against God. It's not a... It's not, I think we make those kind of dichotomies, but we make them about uh, trite things all the time. Like, these people go to FSU and those people go to UF. Right? Enemy is clear at that point, and I can't see it any, any other way. You could talk to me until you're blue in the face, but that's the way, that's the way it looks. right? But we make these things trite about all, all kind of things, and we blow it up into huge conflicts over trite things. Uh, when you look at the, uh, the actual genocides in history, you look in Rwanda, um, the Hutus and the, and the Tutsis, right? And the, the difference there, at least as some look at it, is not even, 
it's not even a racial thing, or it's not even just a racial thing. There was a division of those people, uh, supposedly according to race, but it was by appearance. These people have water noses. These people look this way. Here, we're going to have two different groups. And then years later, as those things have developed, one says, we have a right to be here, and that other group doesn't. Kill them all. And it's over, it's over appearance. Now, we don't ever make distinctions among people about appearance. That's just not the way that we bother looking. That doesn't affect our friendships or our relationships or anything. Here, here's, here's the conflict. Uh, and the things that we do with it. But God's, uh, God's distinction there isn't, isn't trite. It's not over a little thing. It's, it's ultimate. Um, <clears throat> I think we look at things for, um, we kind of look, look and say, is someone for me or, or against me? Do they fit with me? Do they fit the things that I value or do they not? Then are we on the same side or are we not on the same side? Uh, the, the Haman is a descendant of Agag, who is a king of the Amalekites. And in biblical history, the Amalekites are viewed as the example, the representation of the enemy of God's people. Uh, Because as God's people were coming out in the exodus uh, from uh, Egypt, um, the first conflict that they run into is the Amalekites. Um, A battle that God gives them victory over. Uh, but from then on, in biblical history, uh, the Amalekites represent the enemies of God's people. So those who aren't even Amalekites can be talked about that way. As here are the Amalekites, synonymous with enemies of God's people. So here's Haman, and he's declaring himself, we're seeing him as a descendant of one who's the enemies of God's people. So there's more going on for you intentionally in the book of Esther to see how these things fall out. And this conflict is, there's either for God or against God. They are enemies of God's people. Um, associate yourself with God's people, and there is enemy uh, against you. Um, <clears throat> you see it, even this just association of the whole, the way uh, even uh, Paul the Apostle, before he was uh, converted on the Damascus Road, um, as he's been uh, persecuting the church, a voice comes from heaven, uh, from Jesus, revealing himself to him, and what does it say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Saul's against God's people, Christ's church, Christ sees it's, it's about him. This conflict is for God or against God. It's a conflict here seen in Haman as against God and against God's people. And Jesus tells his followers to expect conflict. Conflict is reality for the life of the believer. Conflict that... It may not even have anything to do with you. There's probably a lot of things about you that brought that conflict out too. But even despite any of those things, there's reason for it just because you're on God's side. Or you're saying that you're on God's side. Um, Right? Jesus says, uh, love your enemies. Look at that more. That's true. But you see that it assumes that you have enemies. You have to love them, but you have enemies. Uh, But Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. uh, For my name's sake. Uh, it's just the, the, master is, the servant is not greater than its master. As the world has hated me, uh, so it will, will hate you. Um, we're to expect conflict and, and prepare for it. But I think oftentimes we think that there's, there's not supposed to be conflict. Why, why are these kind of things happening to me? Why, why, why do these difficulties arise? Where does this come from? That's what I do when Daphne and Alice are fighting. I'm like, we put you in bed an hour ago. Y'all are actually friends. You're having fun staying up talking and we're not getting on to you. Can't that be enough? But no, then it has to turn into a fight about it, right? Like it's not supposed to be this way. 
Well, here's just part of the, the truth. That conflict is there. Um, Jesus says in all kind of ways we're to be expecting of it and preparing for it. If you haven't seen that in Daniel and Esther, then, then go back and look at it again. Read it. It's conflict all the way through. Um, that's part of why God's people feel out of place. And God has, has said it that way. Um, so clearly I'm calling you to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Come and follow Jesus. He says, come and follow him, delight in him. Uh, there's salvation and rescue with him. And that rescue leads you into conflict. Enemies. says, take up your cross uh, and follow me. The world will persecute you and hate you as it's hated me. That's the call of the gospel. Um, that's what you should be ready for, preparing for. There's conflict against uh, God's people. Uh, and, and that conflict that's against you appears dangerous uh, and scary. But I want you to see, you have to see that it's deeper than just kind of an us-them mentality. Like here's Esther, Mordecai, they're part of God's people. Here's Haman, they're the enemies. And so God's people, if the enemies come against them, should destroy the other people. So whoever comes against me, I should take them down, right? Whereas Jesus, love your enemies. But I want you to see that this conflict against uh, God's people is, is deeper than just this us-them mentality. It's not Christians versus non-Christians. Here's the believers, and let's get it together and, and, and go against uh, It's not, it kind of leads into like the holy wars and the crusades of the Middle Ages. Not, not a good idea. Uh, the religious wars being fought for these kind of ground is not what, the, uh, what Scripture calls us to. Nor is it uh, that we need to take the culture back uh, according to Christian, Christian principles and Christian morality by our political maneuvering, that this is what we're, we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to fight the battle. Uh, it doesn't even mean, mean that your job is then to, to win the debate with your non-Christian friend by your greater biblical worldview, intellectual uh, capabilities as you have that argument. That's not what this is. The conflict's deeper than that. Uh, I'll put it this way. Uh, the person who has hurt me the most in my life, um, more than anyone else could ever come close to, is David's story. Um, and you can, I blame him. I blame him for all of it, right? He's, he's messed up my life in countless ways. He's lied to me. He has cheated, to, cheated me. Uh, he's pushed me down. He's held me back from things that I wanted to do. Um, he's let me down. He's hurt me. Uh, he's threatened me. David's story is the number one problem in my life, the number one enemy in my life in many, many ways. That's why sometimes I hate myself. There's a reason for it. Um, listen, everyone since Adam and Eve starts off as an enemy of God. That, that's how scripture describes it. Everyone, it the, the natural man is at enmity with God, uh, Romans says. Uh, this, is, this is where we start. Uh, even, even Christians are still, Christians still sin. don't need to tell you that, but I need to remind you of that. Uh, and if Christians still sin, that means Christians are still sinners. Uh, and sin isn't just, well, we name these things sin because it's bad. Sin is because it's against God. It's against God's character. It's against God's laws. It's against God's ways. It's against what pleases God. Sin is, is against God. Uh, so however much we're still maybe redeemed and belong to God, part of the way we live is an enmity with God. 
is against him? Is it cross purposes antagonistic to God, his people, what he's about, and what he's doing? Uh, There's the enemy within. Since Adam took of the forbidden fruit and ate, he, he, he turned against himself. Because he turned against God. And he put himself then as God's enemy deserving destruction. Doesn't work very well to put yourself on the opposite side from God. But that's what we do continually. And God says what it it deserves is judgment from him. See, the conflict of interest is within ourselves as well. That we love the world sometimes. Sometimes we hate the things of God or the people of God. There's there's an enemy uh, within the conflict uh, against God's people within ourselves. And I don't want you to just pretend that that's not there. Esther is helping you see the conflict, uh, to look at it. Uh, And not to just see on this trite thing, or this people against those people, or the people that are like me and the people who are not like me. It's deeper than that in the whole context of Scripture. Don't just pretend that the conflict's not there. That doesn't help at all. Or or ignore it. Or just blame others for the conflict. That's our typical strategy. The conflict remains. The conflict is against God. So my question for you is, where do you see the conflict? Is it it only in other things, other people, other situations that you have to get away from and then your life will be better? Other things that happened this year, but you know what? Now this year's coming to a close and now it's the summer. You know how you can make the summer go, or you know how you've designed next semester, and <clears throat> so next semester there's not going to be conflict. Because you, you've got it. Well, where's the, is it in a situation? Is it in particular people? Or do you see it in yourself as well? Is it just against your values and what you want? Or do you see it in the ultimate dichotomy before, before God? Where do you see the conflict? How do you deal with it? Conflict's not only against God's people, in the story of Esther, this is the beautiful part. There's this crazy, unexpected reversal, and the conflict all of a sudden is for God's people. And everything turns around. In the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when there had been a decree that all of God's people would be utterly annihilated and they couldn't do anything to defend themselves, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, and the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The conflict switched all around, and the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The conflict turns for God's people. Listen, once you begin to see that the enemy is not just without, but it's also within, and you start to realize how deep uh, that it is, it's easy to be just kind of overwhelmed. Like, if I'm my greatest enemy, how am I going to win that battle? Right? Like, I uh, got my strategies are just cutting right back on themselves. Because uh, they're coming from the wrong places. Uh, if it's that deep inside of us, we're just overwhelmed. We, we, like, let's just accept the truth. A truce, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not really mad at myself. I like myself. Myself is good. I'll tell myself that over and over again. And then we'll just keep going. Right? Deny, deny, repress, suppress. Everything's okay. I can handle it. It's going to be all right. Next, next week it'll be all right. Tomorrow will be better. Um, accept the peace accord. Ignore the problem or hide from it. We don't have to hide from it, but because the conflict is reversed, instead of being against God's people, all of a sudden it's for God's people. But you have to hear that the conflict continues. 
It's reversed, uh, but the conflict continues for God's people. So don't give up. Uh, don't, don't just give in or, 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 or let up. There's hope for victory. But that victory comes through conflict. Because I think we often just forget that victory is victory over something. Like when, when there's victory, there's something else or someone else who's defeated. You know, it's like you watch a basketball game and you're like, oh, it's great. You know, I don't really care who wins. But by the end of it, you're like, okay, I've got to pick someone who's going to win. I wish they could both win. <laughs> like, it doesn't work that way. It's a basketball game. There's a winner and there's a loser in it. Um, <clears throat> there's, there, the conflict continues. And I think we often forget that that, that victory uh, is real. Salvation, being saved, is not just this amorphous thing. It's being saved from something. Rescued... Uh, out of something, and that something is being rescued from self, uh, rescued from sin, uh, that, that my heart always wants to continue to disobey God in the things I do, and I have a hard time knowing even what another option is. Rescued from sin, rescued from self, uh, rescued from God, from being God's enemy, uh, God's enemy who he would destroy, who deserves to be destroyed. But there's rescue. There's rescue that takes place there. Um, But there's things that have to be destroyed in the process of that rescue, or that rescue is no true rescue at all. It's not just the uh, youth group Frisbee game where Next Point wins, right? And then we all just feel good about it. There's a reality of the battle, and if the... for Mordecai and Esther, if Haman remains there, and the king just says, okay, hey, we're not going to do that, everyone's okay. It's just going to keep coming up. Um, the enemy remains, the battle continues until the enemy is gone. Take things that you should hate. You should hate uh, oppression. Uh, you should hate um, theft and murder and abuse uh, and neglect um, <clears throat> that all are present and just realities uh, in our world, um, in our city, on our campus. Uh, in many ways in our hearts. And that we should hate those things and want them ended. The world should not be like that. We don't want it to be like that. And to want it not to be like that, you have to want that ended. Defeated. Destroyed. To want God's enemies destroyed. So this great reversal happens uh, in this parallel decree that gets issued, right? We read the passage, and it's, it's a little bit of a boring passage to just hear or read. You're not hearing, like, the exciting things happening. You're hearing a decree went out from this place in these many languages, and you're hearing again a decree went out. And these, but this parallelism is to show the contrast of it. Just like a decree had gone out against God's people, now because God's ultimately in control, because God's purposes won't be thwarted, uh, because God will be faithful to his promises, uh, for his people and to bring Messiah and God is overruling history, the conflict turns for God's people and another decree goes out. It's opposite. It's the mirror image. The king's decree is now in conflict in, in conflict in favor of God's people. On that day when they were supposed to be destroyed, now the Jews are supposed to arm themselves and be ready and to gather themselves together. And when anyone comes after them, they're to annihilate their enemies. They're to want that oppression and the enemies of God to be destroyed. Looks very different now. 
But we're still to want the enemies of God and the things that are against God uh, to be destroyed. Uh, this side of the cross, things are, things are very different. But hear how it says they get relief from their enemies. They get rest. Uh, I, I'm, I'm only a tad joking when I say David Story is my number one enemy because it's true. I won't rest. I won't rest from myself. I won't rest from the way that I can't do the things that I set out and said, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to get frustrated when Daphne and Alice are fighting again. And there I'm frustrated. Um, Like, we need rest from that. I want that to be gone. I want my heart to just take joy in who they are. Or say, okay, here's a way where I can help them understand the reality of what they're in. We hurt ourselves in those things. We want want rest. We want relief from oppression, from terror, um, from, from our own stupidity. We want those things to have ended. Um, and the great reversal of this conflict, the greatest reversal of this conflict, happens as Christ hangs on the cross for his people. Uh, in place of his people, which is to say, in the place of sinners, in the place of rebels, in the place of those who are enemies of God, Jesus hung and was killed. His blood was shed. That God turns a conflict for His people by turning His anger against His Son. So that what sin deserves and the punishment that we need to be saved from, God's rightful anger and His justice that preserves the world in a right way would, would make that done with. The danger of that destruction in Christ is, is over. And he is continuing to, to end it. Um, the, the war, once Christ is crucified on the cross and raised, uh, the war is decided. One of the ways Scripture puts it, the power of sin is broken. He's destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. That's the way Hebrews says it. Sin, death, the devil are destroyed. And the power of Christ and the resurrection is strong enough to deal with the enemy within. We're to hate sinful inclinations within ourselves, the way we oppose ourselves to God. And yet, God says that in Christ you are being remade. Second Corinthians says you are a new creation. And it's not just my power that has to work within me to make David's story a better person. Uh, it's the, the spirit of Christ placed within you that he's working out a different character in life. And the flesh and the spirit are waging war against one another. Right? But it's not here. Make sure that you just side here. Realizing that you, be looking to Jesus, belonging to Him, and because of what He's done, the conflict is reversed, and the conflict is working for you. As all these ugly things come out of your heart, and you judge other people, and you realize that the problem isn't really them, it's, it's you. You just... Didn't like the way that they treated them. That your discrimination was petty. Um, and the conflict is within you and that's God's Spirit revealing that to you. And beginning to show you that that's wrong and teaching you to hate it and teaching you to turn from it and teaching you to love instead and change behavior. In that conflict, because it's been reversed in the Gospel, God is working for you even as you see the ugliness of it. But Christ calls you to be aware of it, to see it, to engage in the battle against it, 
Not picking some group of people and saying they're against God and we're against them. Uh, seeing, seeing hatred against God in ourselves and how it's lived out and saying, we want to see that changed. I want to see myself changed, and not by my power, but by God's power of what he's worked in history, in reality, in Christ's death and resurrection, his spirit given uh, to his people in conflict for them. And you know what the book of Esther is about? It's a celebration. The book of Esther is telling you about this thing that happened in history so that we would celebrate it. So we would see the conflict and see the reversal of the conflict that we would rejoice and say, here there is rest, there is hope, because God continues His promises and saves His people. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate it every year because this is good. And it's hard for us as we see it when we read it in Esther. But this is good. Ah, it... It should be hard. It's hard for us on, if you want to put it this way, when we think about Christ, like Good Friday, when you think about Christ's death on the cross, that's not, that's not the day that we rejoice. And yet it is. Uh, because that's followed by Christ's resurrection. And so Scripture gives, a call, gives us a call uh, to celebrate, to celebrate weekly Jesus' resurrection for us on the Lord's day, the day when He rose for His people. Celebrate it. To celebrate that the conflict continues, but it continues for us by the power of Christ's work and his work in us. The conflict continues and the celebration of it continues not just on one day of the week, but constantly as you live it out. As you're fighting against the ugliness of what your own heart desires, of who you want to blame the problems on, of how you see other people as the issue, or how we're too weak to stand up against any of those things and just want to pretend that everything is happy and nice. The celebration continues as we rest in Christ to fight against those things. To see that that conflict is there. To hate it and to look to God's power that turns everything not our own. <clears throat> the conflict turns for victory for God's people. Uh, even when it seems uh, most dire and like there's no hope. Where do you see the conflict? How do you deal with a conflict when you see it? It's not just on you to fix it all. God's done that in history. Here's hope for you to rejoice in. For you to live in light of the truth that he's dealt with it. That he has crushed his enemies and continues to work that out. Conflict is real. Conflict is serious. Not to be ignored or pretended or blamed on something else. But it's overcome in Christ. The end of Revelation shows the the full and the final victory. It shows Christ and his return with a victory over all his enemies. And it's no light or trivial matter. Mentions the lake of fire, mentions Babylon being thrown down, mentions the herd of, oh, here's these things that we hoped in. But the way Scripture responds all through that destruction is still with a celebration. As a call for celebration of Christ who, is, who does things right and perfectly and sets the world in perfect order. Who puts away everything that's against God, everything uh, that is wrong and destructive and that we hate or that we should hate. 
And it's a celebration of the victory of our king. As it brings about a world with no more genocide, uh, no more theft or rape or murder or oppression or injustice uh, or even hatred. A place of no more sorrow or sickness or death or pain. It'll be great to enjoy a world without conflict. It'll be great to enjoy a world without conflict. And that the hope of that world is now. But it's now as we engage that conflict and what Christ has done for his people, what he's doing in his people, as he's reversed the expectations of all of history uh, toward God's purposes fulfilling uh, his redemption.